0: because I invariably will have the man or woman say to me, well, I have three daughters that have doctorates. I said, well, that book will never get written.
1: (laughs) Thanks for joining us for another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we strive for ways to achieve those two goals and we invite folks on to help us do just that. for the long life and also long happy life portion of the show. I'm excited today that we have Henry Quinlan with us. He is an 82-year-old semi-retired book publisher, and he speaks on non-financial issues in in retirement. So I'm really excited, Um, Henry. Thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: So what kind of non-financial issues do people encounter in their retirement?
0: Well, the biggest is uh, the first one is boredom, and the second is loneliness, and then there's a myriad of other issues. Uh, and And I point out that the boredom can is goes across men and women. Same with loneliness, and it. Everyone seems to think loneliness is when you're living alone, but in fact, people can be lonely in a marriage. Can be lonely in a home full of people, so uh, it's, it's a feeling that's individual. And so those are the two biggest issues. And the other one is that the, I say the third, in, in, and I'm speaking from experience of talking to more than 50 senior groups, uh, the fear of what will people say if they break out of their traditional mold and try something new. And so there's a a gerontologist that I know that talks about many people because of that fear are living very quiet lives of desperation because they're hemmed in with that fear keeps them from moving out. And And that's not unique
1: to older people.
0: No, that's true, but it it, it comes in. So so how has it happened? You know, I go around, I often ask people, how's retirement going? And a lot of times people say, I, I don't know where the hours go. and, uh, and so I, But if I start probing, very often I find the hours are the same hours they've always lived. And they've never really changed anything. They're just doing it for longer periods. So they're staying in that restrained life. And um, men have a much harder time, much harder time and they're more isolated than women, and they're not as social as women. So I, um, many, I've spoken to men groups, and I've had responses like, you know, Henry's absolutely right. I, I focus my whole life on getting enough money to retire. Then I retire, and I'm hit with these emotional issues, and it really shocked me. Another man said, I did the same. Next thing I knew, I was sitting in an AA meeting. So those are the challenges and the people aren't expecting them that, uh, you know, the guy that says, well, I've had a very successful career, I'll just do the same thing in retirement, different, different issues. And so uh, many people, one man said to me, I used to be a big shot. I retired and I said, well, I'll do some volunteering, he said, I got rejected for my first volunteering and he said, I'm a little shocked. <laughs> he said, but that <laughs> rejection stopped me from doing anything. So you know, it's it's life all over again. Wow. It can be really rewarding. And I know many people who have really had a rewarding and enjoyable life. And they're fulfilling in a lot of cases, they're fulfilling lifelong dreams. Yeah.
1: So Henry, let's back up. Tell me. It- Has this been a lifelong passion of yours? What's your background? How did you start out your life?
0: Well, I started my life as a lawyer, uh, and then I got into some uh, professional and personal issues. And I was really spinning, didn't know what was going on. So I did two things. I took a course at Harvard Extension on midlife crisis. And the other thing I entered into uh, uh, counseling. The course at midlife crisis was taught by a psychiatrist from Harvard Medical School and he said life is nothing but a series of changes and loss changes and loss And so uh, from that course I started watching as I went along in life all the of course I had my own changes and I come come to realize that it's the adaptability of the change that's the key. And uh, so I was watching people who were who were good at adapting their, their life changes and they just, you know, picked up another or and started growing. So that's those were my models.
1: Interesting. So did, did you go right from after you finished with your law career?
0: What, what, I went what into happened? publishing.
1: Oh, right. That's right. And now
0: you're. Yeah. And so I've been uh, most of my life really in publishing and uh that has brought me to a lot of meeting a lot of fascinating people. Um, it took me to Russia. I lived in Russia for five years. Wow. And I had the pleasure of being asked by President Bush, number one, to arrange for the erection of the statues, make way for ducklings in Moscow and the publishing of the book in Russian. So that was the highlight of my tenure in, in uh, Russia.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic experience
0: was yeah i saw i saw history i saw communism collapse and the new uh new russia evolve and it's still evolving and i give talks <laughs> yeah. to seniors on my experiences there
1: yeah talk about change right that's <laughs> yeah you know, yeah it's all
0: about change i mean life and that's why and that's a very good point and i point that out but for men again, so when communism collapsed, the guarantees that you we're gonna take care of you from birth to death went with it. Yeah. So for men, there was huge depression, huge increase in alcoholism. As a result, the death rate, the average age of a male went from 68 to 57. Wow. The biggest drop in recorded history. And it was and it was all about ability, and adaptability. So I saw on Sunday the de- devoted communists on Monday morning wake up devoted capitalists. But not many could do that, a lot couldn't. And right. so it was uh, and the result was that drop in age. now it's risen back up to still below the West, but it's up into the low 70s. Interesting.
1: So Take us to the next stage now. When you left Russia, you were there for five years.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I picked up doing publishing and on, uh, you know, actually on CDs with um, videos with uh, school violence and things of that nature. And then when I retired, I, I decided that I, I'm looking for something to do. I would go around and talk to seniors on how to write their memoirs. And so I was going around to the senior centers and then there, and uh, and I, I did that. And the woman said to me one day, you know, you, the people really like you, what else can you talk about? <laughs> so I said, well, I have this thing on emotional pension. Oh, that's good, let's talk about that. So they started talking about that and then they say, what else you got? And I, so that's how it evolved. And how old well were you at this point? Uh, 65, 66.
1: So when you're talking to the seniors, you're sort of thinking about your own future, yeah?
0: no yeah, yeah. I mean, I want—I've always been active my whole life. I still am active physically. I mean, playing tennis and golf. But I also—I uh, wanted to do something else, and so I saw, and that led to two wonderful experiences talking about seniors because I—I've gone on to help seniors published their stories. And I've never seen anything energize a senior like writing their story. And in two illustrations I have. I did one for an 88-year-old man who wrote his, by hand, 66,000 words. He was so energized. He got married at 90.
1: <laughs> he said he and wrote a saying, I didn't realize that was so interesting.
0: <laughs> and the other man uh, was a, Professor Emeritus from uh, MIT, he went on to write another book. So, I mean, it's just wonderful with, to see what's seen. Once they get involved in it, they really take to it and it just changes their whole life.
1: Yeah, so that kind of does bring us to where you are today, right? What's your, how do you spend most of your days today?
0: Uh, I, I probably speak to senior groups uh, two or three times a week. I just completed one of my, one of my fun things that I did. I, I wrote a book with one of my granddaughters. It was like a Christmas book and it sold out so we were both happy. And, awesome. uh, yeah so I, I, and you know I, I keep busy at play tennis two times a week, golf two times a week and do my talks and that, that pretty much fills up my week.
1: So Henry, how do you help somebody to write their memoirs? I mean, it, it would, could, could vary. We, we did this with my, my aunt lived to be 105 and she,
0: yeah.
1: you know, somebody in the family got the idea. Oh, let's have her write stuff down. And they, it was the most boring thing I ever read. And her, yet her life, right? She focused on things that nobody, you know in, in retrospect, no one really cared about like the minutia, but her actual life was so fascinating.
0: Well, you just hit on what I consider the biggest mistake seniors make. Um, and that's, they don't use uh, anecdotes. They'll say a blank statement. So I, I'll give you a couple of examples. I published uh, Casey Jones' book on his life as a coach of the And so he writes in his book, there's uh, two minutes left, or uh, uh, 10 seconds left in a game against the Lakers. We're behind by one point. I call a timeout, we have a huddle, they go back on the floor, Uh, Larry Bird gets the ball and scores. And I said, well, that's good, but I mean, what happened in the huddle, did you call a play? And he says, no, 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 Henry, he says, I call the huddle, Larry Bird leans into the huddle and says, give me the ball and get out of the way. So that little anecdote keeps the reader moving and explains everything. Another one was my, my favorite uh, professor at MIT. So he and his wife decided to get divorced and they, they lived in the suburb of Boston where they had enough land. and they were, So they decided he'd build a house out back and she'd have a house in the front. And so I said, you know, all of this book you've talked about, you and your wife, love the dogs. Well, what happened to the dogs in the divorce? <laughs> he split you the get And she, he says, Oh, no, Henry he says, I'm a professor of engineering. I built a tunnel between the houses so the dogs have free reign. So I always emphasize to seniors, you have to put a lot of anecdotes in. That's not necessarily humorous, but they can be. And that, but that gives fuller expression to your, to your life.
1: Absolutely. So, how involved are you with the folks as they're writing their memoirs?
0: Um, some to the point where I will edit them, or I have an editor that will edit them and uh, go through the whole thing. And then the magic of writing your own story, some people have more ambition. So, I've helped I, I one man who says, I want to write 10 books, I, t- I want 10 copies just for intimate family. Others say I would like to write up my book, but I want I think I have an interesting life. I'd like to be a little more ambitious and sell it. So we'll spend some money on design and other things. And so I said, the cardinal rule is always have your uh, publishing party in November. Because what you'll find people and invite everyone you ever met, because people come and buy three, four, five books for Christmas, and you'll make enough money. And get back all your costs and invariably some more uh-uh. that's good advice uh, so so you know it's then there there's good ego for them and uh, they get good reviews in the book and expand its market
1: excellent henry what's you've you've worked also on some books who, that have become bestsellers what do you think makes a book a bestseller is there like a i don't want to say a formula but is there a a similarity between books that really do well?
0: Yeah, um, well, there's two, there's two categories. One, one is uh, celebrity. We're in an era of celebrity. So if you, if you wrote a book, I slept with Donald Trump, <laughs> you would become a That would be a tragedy. Number one. <laughs> That would become a number one bestseller. You know, Bill O'Reilly figured that out a long time ago. And every November, September, he came out with a new book that he didn't write. But it was always, if you look at the bestseller list, all those books are bestsellers. And the other way, the traditional way is, and there's no better uh, um, uh, um, road to the top than word of mouth. Word of mouth, I hey, I read a good book. It may take you longer, but that's the way, uh, good reviews and word of mouth, that's that's, uh, the best way ever. So your
1: book, how do you help people get in front of a person who would do the review for them? For example, let's see some of these people who have an interesting life. How do you get reviews even?
0: Well, you, you start like everything else. You start in your hometown. And invariably, they're going to give you a good review, basically because you're one of them. Yeah. But you take that good review and then you insert, go to a wider circle. You go to a bigger publication, or if you're writing a book, say on golf, you go to golf publications. It's a building process, step by step.
1: So you approach them and say, hey, I wrote this book and I think you're going to really love it. Or you give them a summary or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Summary. Yeah. Yeah. Summary. When yeah. Ice- yeah. And now, of course, this is uh, a lot of times you give them uh, video. Okay, that's interesting.
1: What other advice do you have for like aspiring um, multi, uh, you know, best-selling authors? I guess is what I say. Aspiring well, best-selling it's,
0: authors. It's, it's always, you know, it's it's always a good story. Uh, I did a book on uh, the cops and robbers. Uh, Twenty-five years ago, there was a robbery in a bank in Medford organized and done by six cops. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> they get caught, unfortunately for them. And uh, but uh, so the title, "The Cops Are Robbers," in publicity, we sent that uh, one of the many uh, press releases we sent to sixty minutes. That title caught the eye. And so 60 Minutes did a segment on it.
1: Oh, that must have been exciting.
0: Yeah, it was. And yeah, I, I, it was very exciting. Uh, the the, um, the uh, reporter came up, and I forget his name now, but we went out to the prison in uh, Concord where one of the lead cop was. And uh, I was mythed that I had to take everything off. You know, <laughs> belt, and, and he goes walking right through with <laughs> all his gold and so forth. But, uh, but then HBO picked it up because, again, the title, they made a movie out of it. Wow. So, so another one, the uh, first author. So it, it, I go tell them how to really look for a good title, and it's getting a reaction. So uh, I talk about a woman, her first novel, and her title was Never Sex on a Tuesday. <laughs> but it sold six hundred fifty thousand copies
1: who wouldn't buy a book like that
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's <Seriously>. your <laughs> wow so yeah, any many, many interesting ways you can produce a bestseller <laughs> but it's
1: that it's that something that's going to grab you as people walk by or whatever
0: get a reaction is it different Sorry. now
1: with the all the with everything being Amazon and things online and stuff like that.
0: Well, Amazon is dominating, but this woman sold her 600,000 books on Amazon with her doing all the marketing on social media. Wow! So there's all kinds of routes uh, to the top. Yeah, interesting.
1: But it's just persistence, right? Just like anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To a certain extent, yeah.
1: So Henry, what what would well first of all is there anything that you want to anything fun or interesting from your life that you want to share with folks just to just as a funny anecdote or just to kind of
0: yeah yeah my, my my favorite one is uh, when I started doing these on uh, non financial guidance so uh, diamond I I titled it don't forget to bounce the last check <laughs> and that horrified people I think I'm promoting them to. Get rid of all their money. And so I dropped that title, but I still talk about it because the story behind it is I was in New York and I had dinner one night with a friend of mine and she brought um, her friend who was a psychiatrist. And he was from Seattle, but he had terminal cancer and he only had a couple of months to live. And he was returning to New York to talk to his counselor. In his words, he says, I'm mad as hell, I'm dying. I'm going to take it out on him. But as life would have it, we just kind of hit it off as two people. And so we spent the next two weeks, we had three or four dinners and coffees together. But one day I said to him, You know, when you finish counseling, how does it end? Do they say, I'm out of here? Or you say, you're finished or uh, negotiate? He said, 95% plus it's negotiation. And we come to an agreement. He says, yeah, You know, a few bounce out and the others. But he said, what, when we negotiate and it's over, as they're walking out, just as they get to the door, I say, hey, don't forget to bounce the last check. And he said, if they turn to me and smile, I got them. If they turn to me and frown, he says, we didn't connect. And he says, all I mean is live life to the fullest to the end.
1: Henry, I mean, that actually, I've heard you say that, that, you know, you feel like the financial industry is kind of responsible for people not like really embracing and having a lot of fun in their retirement. I, I
0: talked I talk to some financial advisors and they, I said to them, you guys are the problem. You picture people who are in retirement as this silver haired, attractive couple dancing on the beach. And 99.9% of the people say, that's not me, what's wrong with me? And the, actually my host started laughing. He says, I have to interrupt here and tell Henry, that's exactly what we promote. And, and so it's, it's uh, 99% of all information about retirement is uh, financial. And I can tell you, I, I, I know quite a few people, finances are not an issue boredom, big time. Yeah. They don't know how to move out of themselves. I know one man, physically capable, financially capable, his life is going to the store once a day and watching CNN. I mean, that's, you know. So I say to men, a phrase that they can identify with, uh, you're leaving something on the table. But it's your choice. It's all up to you. As, and as often as I give these talks and I talk to the Massachusetts retired teachers and i it out. Henry, anyway, I get it, it's on me, but that's the truth. I mean, you can, you can have all the, I can talk all this, unless you get up and do it. And that's why men have a hard time. They, they, their loss of identity is, is in many cases severe, particularly people who had a position of power and I can talk about the bank president I know is retired and I'm saying to his wife, how's John doing? John's not doing well. Why not? Well, no one's calling him. Well, why should they? It's not the president, you know, but the, he hasn't let go of his past life or a cop. He's used in telling people to move. And now he tells people to move and they say, who the hell are you? And they're, they're used to power and they don't know it's over. You know, that the men in particular can be that loss of identity uh some of them never get over it and they live their life in the past and you start talking to them and they're immediately going back to i remember four years ago i did that five years ago I said what's in the future right
1: right so henry you know a lot of our listeners are between the ages of 20 and 40 and of course we have folks all over the place but I'm wondering if there are things that you could do, even as a younger person, even if you're not like immediately thinking every time and are not already retired, to sort of get you ready to be a good retired person and even potentially to write your
0: memoirs. Right, well, if the first thing is to be aware of in your own life as you're moving through life. Change, adaptability to change. Now you're a young man, you're 40s, maybe your kids are in college and maybe they graduate and then they leave. Now all of a sudden, it's 24 seven husband and wife. That's a big change. Not many are prepared for it. Now some, you know, I've heard many say, who's this stranger that's in my house? So adapting to that change and and as you go on, start watching people who who do meet changes in life, losses in life and and deaths of of a beloved one. That's a loss. How do they adapt to that? So uh, be aware as, you, as you're moving through life of people who are suffering losses but how they, and how they adapt to it. I often talk about people in, their, in their writing their memoirs. You're going to come to a, a very painful part of your life. And if I had to say one thing, that's where most memoir writing stops. They don't want to go through it but there are techniques to get through it. And, and the primary one is to, to stop writing your manuscript, but go on side and just write from the gut. And then leave it there for about uh, uh, a week, go back, look at it, rewrite it, and keep doing that process. And sometimes you may do it seven times or eight times. but You're gonna get it right yeah. and you'll be happy with it. And you move on, that's adaptability. Yeah,
1: and how about, even for not remembering, because, you know, in your life, like sometimes I'll meet somebody who knew me a long time ago and, you know, each step has just felt like the next logical step, but you've there's actually been a huge change in my life, you know, like the what, things that I used to do and the person I used to be. And so if I were writing, I might forget, you know, I might sort of just sort of discount some of the evolution um, should we be sort of you know I guess keeping a journal or you know maybe just well
0: that's always a good thing because if at some point you want to write your life story there's nothing better than that original material that journal you've been keeping all the way along that's that's perfect but you're, you're hitting it on the head I mean when all we all change many times in our life there are many changes and each time we're adapting and so as we as we get better at it, you know, if you're aware of it, and that's the key, you gotta be aware of it. Some some people roll through life without any any introspection and they have no idea what's going on and then life just goes its, its way. So if you, I mean, the whole idea of life is to Maximize you, what you wanna do, your potential, your enjoyment. It's not, all, it's not all roses, but it can be much better than, uh, you know, if you put some effort into it. There are rewards and be spontaneous. My granddaughter, one of my granddaughters came up to me on my 80th birthday and said, Grandpa, let's go skydiving. And I said, sure, why not? So off we went. And so, you know, that's being spontaneous. That is being spontaneous, all right, and no broken yeah. limbs. <laughs> no, and it was a wonderful experience, particularly since I did it with my granddaughter. Yeah,
1: is that the same granddaughter that you wrote the the book with?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fun!
1: You must have a really fun relationship.
0: I do, and that's another thing I talk about: grandparenting. So, the origin is um many years ago, twenty years ago, actually. I'm sitting at a birthday party, two year old for my oldest grandson. And around the table are those friends and cousins and then the, the in-laws and the outlaws and the neighbors. And, and I'm saying, what the hell am I doing here? Does no care? And so the more I thought about it, so then I, I said, well, I'm not gonna go to any more of these birthday parties. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take my grandkids, I have six of them, to an individual dinner to celebrate their birthday. So the so, I've been doing that now with him for 20 years and the others for 16, whatever the ages they are. But okay. what I've done is I've learned who they are as individuals and then and build a really great relationship. So, as their birthday uh, approaches, they'll now say to me, Grandpa, when's our birthday dinner? <laughs> so it's a very nice tradition.
1: Yeah, I'll say. And I, I think that's something that folks, you know even parents i think sometimes struggle to make that connection with their kids at a certain point you just feel like they're strangers and you don't know how to talk to them anymore and
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah keeping up with them at an individual level even if you have six kids or you know and
0: they know you as an an individual too so it goes both ways right
1: nice any other thoughts or advice for people who are either thinking of writing a memoir or are retired right now and they don't, you know, the, the time is kind of weighing heavily on them?
0: Yeah, I mean, they are the prop- most, uh, question I get asked very often is how do I start? And the, the best way to start is to uh, make an outline. And you have two choices. You can write a biography, which is your autobiography, your life from birth today, or a memoir, take a slice of your life. Say it's you wanna talk about your education life or your professional life or your married life. That's a memoir, just a slice of your life. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the, the advice to make an outline, decide and, and start writing. And pick one person, one person only to be your guide. And the, the requirement is that they have to be honest with you. So as you finish a chapter, you have to say, is this good? Does this make sense? But only one person. Because yeah. I invariably will have them, man or woman say to me, well, I have three daughters that have doctorates. And I said, well, that book will never get written. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have three. <laughs> I just have one.
1: <laughs> Excellent, um, Henry. Is there anything else that you wish I would have asked you? Anything else that you'd like to share with folks today?
0: Uh, um, you know, this is a, uh, the the senior years can be a time of great pain because of losses, um, but also can be re- very rewarding time of life, well. and it's it's to be it's to be lived and enjoyed and to stretch yourself go do some things that you never thought you could do or look at those go back to when you were 21 you know those dreams you had maybe you had to put them off to raise a family and pursue your goals to make money but you know i always wanted to and i i know several people who always wanted to write a book and they did it and i, I think you're too young but there was a a famous uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, who uh, was his name, was on Channel 2 many years ago. He said, my dream is to go to Thailand and sit in a rice paddy. everyone goes, me was crazy. He says, you know, I sold everything and I went and sat in that rice paddy. It was the greatest thing I ever did. So nothing is, again, don't be afraid of what people say. If it's good for you, and you're not hurting anybody, go ahead and do it.
1: Wow, that's great advice. Henry, did you write your memoir? I didn't, or, or your autobiography? Not, it?
0: No, I, I did a, a memoir, an a oral memoir, which I did on a disc for my grandkids about my time in Russia.
1: Wow, you didn't think of publishing that?
0: No, no, I mean, uh, there's so, there, there's so few people that would really be interested in it. Now. <laughs>
1: You never know. You can embellish a little and give it a splash. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Henry, thanks so much for, for sharing with us today. It was, it was really fun talking with you.
0: Yes, thank you.
1: And thank you, listener, for listening. You know, I know you have a choice of about 2 million podcasts. I'm excited that you're here with us today. And this is the last episode that we have before 2022. So please have a wonderful, fantastic, happy new year. And we'll look forward to seeing you in 2022.